Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Mind Matters, navigating head injuries and concussions. As part of our concussion and brain group, we've got today uh, one of our attorneys, John Mobley, with us. My name is Kylie Como. I'm sitting in for Shane Smith today. A little bit about me, my background is a registered nurse. Uh, spent many years at the bedside uh, in area hospitals working in neurological intensive care unit settings. So uh, it's a particular interest to me, but uh, let's, let's get going and talk about a uh, little bit more about traumatic brain injuries today, John. Yeah, absolutely, Kai. Thank you so much. So one of the things we want to kind of go over today is exactly what you mentioned, how TBIs affect young children differently than adults. Um, and so just to give kind of some background uh, information, we've done a lot of these series on brain injuries, but just to refresh anyone watching, is that, you know, TBIs are typically acquired injuries that, you know, impact the brain, either from penetrating injuries, car crashes, impacts like that, or even birth injuries. We, we see that as well with pediatric cases. Hypoxic injuries is what they're called, deprivations of oxygen. The functional impact of brain injuries on children can be a lot more difficult to diagnose. And the reason is, is because when we have brain injury patients, clients, victims, we look a lot at who they were before the accident. What were they capable of before the accident? What their symptoms were before the accident? And then we compare it to what they can no longer do after the accident, any sort of deprivations or reductions in their abilities. And we've discussed this on previous podcasts, but you know, the brain injuries can impact your memory, can give you dizziness, vertigo, ringing in the ears, cognition reductions, uh, so your ability to focus, be productive, do work. Well, unfortunately, when we have young children, really young children, we have none of that objective before information because they're young babies. You know, they don't have a nine to five job. They haven't even made it to grade school yet. We don't know, were they getting straight A's in second grade? We don't know because we're before that. You know, they're very, very young. So these things present very unique problems to identifying just the severity and the tier of the brain injury. Some of the things that help us to determine and classify with adult brain injuries like mild to moderate to severe it becomes a little bit more clouded with very young children. And that, that presents a very unique problem in, in set of difficulties in these cases. That's an interesting introduction. I think um, you mentioned something that I think is, is kind of fascinating and just makes it that much more difficult with children. You know, here you and I are having this conversation about some complex stuff. You know, we have the vocabulary to do it, but kids, they don't have that, right? So it's tough to diagnose and to really understand, like, you know, how do you get a child to talk about ringing in their ears or how they're feeling at night and that sort of thing. So it can present a challenge to really digging into those kind of symptoms, I'm sure. And as an attorney, you probably have to dig a lot deeper with families, guardians, that sort of thing to really understand that, right? That's exactly right. And that's a great point is that, you know, when some of these children are, are pre-verbal, pre mm -hmm. how do you even get them to tell you what their symptoms are? Right. How much stuff goes undiagnosed? And, you know, these are some of our most cherished members of society. Anyone that has kids knows this. So it's really something that keeps you up at night. And it's something that keeps us attorneys representing these clients up at night too, because we wanna make sure that the correct doctors and correct specialists, like any parent would, gets involved in the case because 
you have to go to some extra lengths when you have a brain injured child who can't communicate what's going on. And as we know with some kids, you know, they just tough it out or, or they don't even know that something's wrong with them because they can't articulate that. They can't communicate that. And it's, it's really heartbreaking. So how frequently do you see this sort of thing then? The data on TBIs in car crashes is astonishing. There's some studies that put it as high as 30 to 40% of all motor vehicle accidents result in some degree of brain injury that can range from concussion to post-concussion syndrome, mild TBI, which is a mild traumatic brain injury. And don't be confused, the word mild brain injury is not mild at all. Mm -hmm. And it means that person has a huge, huge impact and huge difficulties that they're gonna be experiencing in the future. To moderate brain injury, which is even more severe, and then a severe brain injury and, and up to death. Um, so these things are very common. In terms of prevalence, uh, you know, in the United States, some studies have that, you know, children in the zero to four year range had the highest annual rates of TBI-related emergency room visits, a, a large number out of every 100,000 reported. And then after that, adolescents age, you know, 15 to 19 were kind of the next big group or demographic that reported brain injuries and, you know, you all these numbers you have to take with a grain, grain of salt because they are vastly underreported, vastly underreported. And that is widely, widely accepted in the medical community that some people just don't understand that they've sustained a brain injury. And that's why, you know, really us kind of sometimes doing these podcasts and just getting the information out there is so crucial so that people can really identify the injury and know that hey, it's not that just something's all of a sudden not wrong with your body, it's that you had trauma to your head and now you know you are a different person or you are, these symptoms you're experiencing have a root cause, which is the brain being injured. Yeah, I mean, it's a complicated landscape for sure, traumatic brain injury. Uh, sometimes you don't even see it right away, right? I mean, these things creep up on us um, after weeks, days, weeks, even months sometimes. So it's really a waiting game with some of that, I'm sure. That's exactly right. And, and you know, that's a key point to brain injury and just having a better understanding of it is that it is not a one and done event. It's not like you bumped your head or that car rear ended you and you hit the steering wheel and then hit your head. And then, you know, th that was the injury. Like, you know, if you broke your arm, it is actually a chronic and progressive disease. That's a better way to kind of understand brain injuries and in that you hit your head and now as, as testing and, and medical studies and knowledge have really evolved in the past few decades, we see that having a brain injury just affects all sorts of things. Hormonal changes, um, changes in that we didn't previously understand in brain chemistry, uh -huh. um, changes in, in what we talked about before, some of the symptoms. And, and these things, if they last beyond six months, it's unfortunate, but the studies also show that that can be permanent changes. Yeah. So we're talking about a lifetime of difficulty. And to bring it full circle to what we're talking about here today about pediatric TBIs is these are young folks that just started life, yeah. right? It's, it's, and that's the heartbreaking nature of it is that they just started life and we don't even know what, what, what they could have been or what was taken away from them, mm -hmm. right? 
and then we find out that you know they may have to if they live to the you know government predicted age of mid 80s or you know high 70s then they're going to have 70 to 80 more years dealing with you know the potential symptoms or the reduction of who they could have been and it's this is why when we get these cases they're some of the most serious cases we take on as a firm because and, and jurors resonate with this as well and it's just, they're, they're very tough cases. So we take them very seriously here at the firm. All right, so now let's kind of dig down into the meat and potatoes of, let's talk about some signs and symptoms of traumatic brain injury, especially with, with pediatrics. So what, what, what might we see? There's a uh, long list of mm-hmm. uh, pediatric symptoms that we kind of use to decode if the injury has occurred. Now, this is typically paired with testing that can be done and we've spoken that about that on previous podcasts about just some of the amazing, amazing technological advancements in the medical community that we've made in, in years, recent years um, through diffusion tensor imaging, which is very, very high powered imaging that can literally trace the flow of water through the brain where we can identify exactly which portion of the brain was injured. Um, there's huge advancements being made in blood tests or we might be able to see if there's, as I, we previously spoke about, there's hormonal changes that occur when the brain is injured and that can be reflected in the blood. So those are some of the tests too, in addition to like a, a, a CT scan, which is only going to pick up really bad brain injuries and then it'll be clear anyways. So if the test is not available for whatever reason, or it's not ordered, then we go to the next best thing, which is looking at the symptoms, okay? Because when you injure your brain, typically it manifests in the body in other ways. So, you know, we will see with children commonly uh, a large list of things. They could experience changes in their bowel and bladder function, uh, changes in their level of consciousness, ranging from you know a brief loss of consciousness to a full full coma or worse dizziness so if anyone's ever had a very small child sometimes i personally have a small child as as well um they may appear dizzy so it's hard to really identify that symptom but there are special tests that are done that can identify levels of dizziness balance and things of that nature a little bit harder in a small child though another thing that we see is that can impact it is fatigue. Uh, So if the child had previously high energy levels and now seems kind of withdrawn, out of it, disassociated, these are all things that really a good support structure and parent can identify so that they can report back to the medical professional. And that goes for any of the symptoms we'll discuss here today is, you know, we always encourage our brain injury clients or their support staff. So that's Mm -hmm. a spouse, parent, cousin, even a good friend or significant other that you're living with to help us by and help the client by keeping a journal of these things and identifying symptoms um, and seeing what the person is like on the day-to-day basis, especially if they knew them before the accident. In the context of speaking with small children, of course the parent's gonna know the child best. So really they're the first line of being the, the great historian to communicate that information both to us, the lawyer, and to the doctor. And what that means is that we can just get the best possible care and, and identify all that stuff. Um, 
you know, another thing to point out is that some of these children may not present with immediate effects of the TBI. And, and that's the big kind of scary thing here is that it may show up later and you see the challenges that this child would have not otherwise had and it doesn't show up until later in development. And particularly we see where maybe that brain injury is causing issues years down the road once they reach some of the more rigorous demands made by in the academic setting, so like school. Maybe they seemed okay as a small child when they were just around the house doing doing baby things or young child things, but then, you know, once they have to start doing reading comprehension, yeah. math, then that lack of cognition really starts to show itself. And and we don't see it till years later. So a lot of times with our very young pediatric clients, if we have any sort of any sort of academic history, that's a great way to see who they were before and who they are after. And if they're too young to even be in an academic setting, then we just don't have that. And we have to really look at other things in order to know the severity of the, of the brain injury. Some of the other difficulties, Kyler, that also will present themselves is, you know, they'll see issues, I know we spoke about educational issues, but also vocational, it'll, the brain injury young will also have, affect their vocational outcome later on in life. Mm. It will have social issues like, you know, their ability to make and maintain friendships, participation in, you know, home, school, and community overall. So it really, we will see a huge reduction in all the things that, what we would deem the quality of life. And, and that's why these are some of the biggest verdicts out there. The biggest settlements that a lot of firms do is brain injuries, but even more so pediatric brain injuries, because a lot of times when we're valuing a case, we're not looking at just, hey, what sort of, you know, bills and, and medical bills and costs and expenses has the client incurred to date, but we would also be presenting to a jury future damages, future needs. Depending on the severity of brain injury, I've had life care planners with some of my clients say, this brain injury is so bad, they're eventually gonna need an in-home assistant, 80,000, 100,000 a year, a year. So, and that's just one portion of it. And then, you know, additional follow-ups, your hearing and vision can go if you have a brain injury. So you think about a young child who then has, you know, potentially over a hundred lifetime visits to an audiologist or a an eye doctor um, and we've got to include all those things so yeah. we really 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 lean heavily on certified life care planners in these types of cases and situations to fully map that out and you know this it's just one of those things where it you have to be so thorough and and document everything and make sure that the right medical treatment is occurring because anything missed could, you know, really be leaving something on the table for, you know, the potential recovery for the young child. I and mean, these are all decisions that parents have to make. To get back to some of the symptoms, we also see impaired movement, mm -hmm. um, impaired balance, impaired coordination, and that might not sound like much on paper, but you talk about being uh, what they deem a, a fall risk. Yeah. Think about it. I mean, how much does it cost if you fall and break your hip? Right. A lot. And if you now have bad balance for the rest of your life, bad movement, can you participate in sports? Mm -hmm. Are you going to fall down more than if you had not? 
Um, these are very, you know, hard things to make seem tangible to people. So it's our job as the attorneys to explain just what that means on a day in day out basis for someone, both from a future pain and suffering standpoint to a potential medical risk. These are scary things when you actually start thinking about the day to day implication of it. Another thing that we see sometimes in, in pediatric TBIs is nausea. You know, a lot of our clients, when they get into a motor vehicle accident, they will sometimes vomit or be nauseous on the scene, literally vomit, and they don't know what's happening. Well, that is a clear sign that you hit your head and had some sort of brain injury. A very, very common thing. It means you not only sustain a brain injury, but a somewhat serious one. Um, so that's a great way to tell. We hear a lot of some of our pediatric clients involved in accidents that they, you know, were nauseous or threw up, and that might be the only symptom we have. But that's an immediate red alert that we need to make sure that they get screened for a brain injury. Pain is another one. Headaches is one of the most common things, and, and that's a hard thing for a young child to explain they have a headache. And a very young pediatric victim or client, it might just present as crying. You know, we don't know, they can't communicate that they have a headache. It can also, some of the other physical symptoms we see are, are seizures in very serious cases. Another category that gets impacted is what's called the, the sensory perceptual category. And that can be things like dizziness, vertigo, imbalance, hypersensitivity to sounds or light. One of the classic brain injury symptoms is hypersensitivity to light. We see a young client squinting or having trouble adjusting. We know that that may be a symptom that needs to be recorded by the parent or whoever is taking care of the victim and then immediately communicated to the specialist, which is typically a neurologist, but it can vary. Another thing that we see is tinnitus tinnitus, tinnitus, mm -hmm. pronunciation is up for dispute in the medical world, yeah. but it's a big word that basically means ringing in the ear. And what it can do is impact your ability to pick up sounds. Um, so people, a lot of people that have worked, we see it a lot with some of our older clients actually, who have spent long careers, you know, on the railroad or loud sounds or construction or you know, some of, unfortunately, some of our military veterans will have reduced hearing and tinnitus. And what it does is that, you know, if you've ever had someone you know that is afflicted by this, they have trouble picking up small nuances in conversations when they're out in a noisy restaurant. Mm -hmm. um, it just, they can't pick up certain sounds. It also impacts your sleep. And mm -hmm. they say is leads to depression because when you have the constant ringing that's described as this just non-stop incessant cicada sound in your that ear or, or ringing that it's it really can impact your quality of life and luckily there's there are now some objective tests for that which is just wonderful for small pediatric clients who have sustained a brain injury because you know, of course, they couldn't communicate or even understand what a ringing in the ears is. So the ability to be able to test it is a very exciting advancement in our ability to diagnose TBI symptoms in young clients. Because, you know, until they can become verbal and, and communicate what's happening to them, 